0: All right, if you want to open up to Acts chapter 1, this is a Mother's Day sermon. Um, we do have uh, prayer journals out on the patio if you want to grab one of these. We're going to be in Acts for about the next four months or so. so. Um, but these, this is the book of Acts with uh, some, a place to take notes, and we'd love to encourage everyone to jump in on that. Um, we're in Acts 1, starting in verse 12, and uh, we'll read, it's on the screen behind me. It says then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. This is after the ascension of Jesus, as we talked about last week. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they had been staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zealot, Judas, son of James, and they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So this is after the ascension uh, Jesus has gone back to heaven, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And it says that they're gathered. This is like one of the first church gatherings, group of about 120 of them. So looking around the room, we probably have about that in this room right now. Like, that's it. These are the followers of Jesus. They're trying to figure out what to do. They go back to Jerusalem. They're up back up in the upper room uh, where they've been, they've been renting out. And it says that they're constantly in prayer. So what do they do as they're waiting on what happens next is... They're praying together. Uh, It's this reminder that we we pray when we don't know what to do. We pray when we're told to wait. We pray when we, we no longer feel the presence of Christ with us. We pray when we have big decisions coming up. We pray when we are gathered with other believers. It says that we're to be devoted to prayer. It also lists the disciples, and it's this reminder that this is such an uh, uh, an, uh, it's, it's an unordinary group of, of people that Jesus has gathered. You have these blue collar fishermen. You have this tax collector who's probably like, you know, sold out to the establishment. You've got uh, the zealot um, who's, you know, part of this like militant wing of Jewish independence. Like, and they're all gathered together. And then it tells us that there's the women there too. These are the women that came. Uh, With Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, they were there at the cross. These are the women that first announced the resurrection. And then it tells us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there as well. And I find that interesting. It's like the writers of Scripture want us to know this. The writers of Scripture are like, by the way, the mother of Jesus, Mary, she's here. Jesus is gone. He's died. He's risen from the dead. And he's left and she is here with this group of Jesus followers. She's present in this moment, and it's interesting because with all of the stories that take place around the life of Jesus, um, this group of women are there, and Mary is there the whole time. They're constantly present when others run away or, or fall away. They're there, and in fact, I, I think it's they're drawing our attention to this because so often the role of women in this story, and the role of Mary, they're, they're overlooked and underappreciated. And on Mother's Day, um, as we honor our moms today, when you think about motherhood and, and me being married to Marcy, who's a mom of four, which is crazy, uh, overlooked and underappreciated this role of motherhood. And what we find in Scripture, too, is throughout the story, this this grand story of God's salvation, this narrative of his redemption plan, so often that story comes through mothers in the Old and New Testament, overlooked, underappreciated. Mary's here in Acts 1. Jesus is ascended to heaven, and his mom is still present. What I want to do today is, is look at some of these stories that are overlooked and underappreciated. And it, on this day where we honor mothers, in a day that is very complex for, for many people, um, what I want to be reminded of is, is the role that these, these mothers play in the story of God's mission. So going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, Uh, We we have, it, it tells us in verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So it tells us that humanity is created in the image of God. We have this term, the Imago Dei, to be human, male, female, is to bear the image of God here on Earth. So there's this identity that to be a human, there's something sacred about that. You are you bear the image of God on this Earth, and, and He gives them instructions to steward creation, and He gives them um, He empowers them with gifting, and then says to be fruitful and to multiply. And then, as you know the creation story, um, the, the Genesis 1 tells one story, Genesis 2 tells another. Like, Adam's hanging out, and he's all by himself, and God decides, you know, it's the first time God's like, there's something not right about this, and he creates Eve, which I, think, I find fascinating that the first time that something's just not quite right, he creates woman, and then woman solves the problem. <laughs> and I, I think this is why we like, like love moms. Like, at, at our house, you know, like, Something will happen with our kids. One of them will get hurt. Like the other day, Lila came in. She skid her knee. She came running inside. And it's like she looks at me and it's, where's mom? And I'm like, I'm right here. Like she just completely goes by me because she knows mom will fix it, right? Solve the problem. So like the story continues. And then you get to Genesis 3. And you have the fall of mankind. Like you have Adam and Eve. Eve takes the fruit. They're told not to eat of this fruit. She takes it. Satan enters the story in the form of the serpent. Um, I always joke that, like, he tricks her. He tells her it's not fruit, it's tomato. And she's like, well, tomato's a vegetable, but really it's a fruit. She eats it. I don't know how it went down. Eats the fruit. We have this fall of mankind that happens in this story. And then what goes on is God shows up, and there's this, like, reckoning. And he finds out that, that, that he goes to Adam, and Adam's like, well, you've deceived me. And Eve's like, the serpent deceived me. So he goes to the serpent, and there's this reckoning. And, and as he's talking, as God's talking to the serpent, he says this in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and this woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So there's, like, what what's going on there, it's saying, like, it, yeah, we all hate snakes, right? Like, this is like Indiana Jones thing. We, we don't like snakes. But they're, they're, between us and them, like, to this day, like, well, there are some people that, I mean, like, okay, well, this is, this is, the Old Testament talking about what's going on here with this story, crushing the snake's head, and really, like, what what people say is what's being communicated here is this story of God making the world right again is now going to come from this woman, Eve. Uh, A a very um, theological term is the the proto-evangelium. It's it's the pre-gospel that's being preached, and I think why, why that is interesting and why that is important, um, this story of, of Eve taking the fruit, like, if, if, like this is written thousands of years ago, and there's all of these stories of how the earth is created and the earth, how the earth chaos enters the scene. And so there's all of these other religions going around that are trying to tell this story, and so often all of the blame is put on the woman in all of these different ancient religions. Like, you get, like, these mythologies. You get, like, Pandora's box. Whose fault is it? And, like, you could read this story, and you could see Eve takes the fruit, but then Adam is right there. He doesn't do anything. But what's interesting about this story is that the blame isn't just all... The story of redemption now comes through the woman. This would have been, like, good news to the people who first read this. From Eve's offspring comes this plan for redemption. This role of motherhood is essential to God's plan for redemption and salvation. And from her offspring will crush the serpent's head. This is the pre-gospel being communicated. Women are going to bring about this. They're they're, they're overlooked. They're underappreciated in this story. Another uh, fascinating story about a mom who plays an important role in this It takes place later in Genesis chapter 16. And we know about Abraham, Father Abraham, uh, his wife Sarah. this story, they're called Abram and Sarai. They're barren. They can't have children. And so they devised this plan to have one of Sarah's um, slave girls named Hagar have a baby for them. So we we read that again, like 3,000 years removed from this. And we're like, well, there's a slave girl. And like, how is this fair? Like, in, this is a story that all of a sudden gives incredible value to this girl named Hagar. It tells us that she's an Egyptian slave, and she gets pregnant with Abraham's baby. They're trying to continue on this family line. And then Sarah gets jealous. They have this dispute, and she basically, like, kicks Hagar out. Hagar's on the run. She's pregnant. She's lonely. She's desperate. She doesn't know where she's going to go. She's vulnerable. and She has this encounter with the presence of God. And in this story where she thinks everyone else has given up on her, and she thinks her situation is helpless and hopeless, God speaks to her and tells her to go back. And as they have this encounter that that changes the course of Hagar's life, it says that Hagar attributes a name to God. In the midst of this desperate situation where God, she experiences the presence of God, Hagar calls God El Roy which means the God who sees. And what's significant about that is in this story of Scripture, the first human to give a name to God is this slave girl, Hagar. She's experienced this God who has met her in this desperate situation, and she's experienced something about the character of God that sees her when everyone else has given up on her. This is what God is like. And in moments where we are desperate and helpless and vulnerable, God meets us. He sees us in this situation. And in this story, we have this young mom, the first person to give God a name in Scripture. Another interesting story, it's about uh, a woman named Jochebed. And you probably don't know who Jochebed is uh, but as you tell the story, you'll be like, oh, that's who Jochebed is. So this story takes place in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, now the people of God are enslaved in Egypt. So Hagar is this Egyptian slave. Things have changed now. The people of God, this tribe of, of God's people, are now enslaved to this empire in Egypt. And as they're there, um, they're they're starting to grow. This tribe is being fruitful and multiplying. And Pharaoh, who's in charge is all of a sudden scared of this people because they're getting so powerful. So he devises this plan to control them and to keep them from, from, from growing too strong and overthrowing him. He tells them that they're going to take all of the, of the Hebrew boys and throw them into the Nile River. And he's going to just eliminate a generation of, of young boys that would grow up to be warriors. And so like he puts this decree out, and everyone's freaking out and scared, And there's this woman named Jochebed that has a boy. And so she has it, she hides the boy from the authorities. And the story picks up, and it says that after about three months in Exodus 2, she could hide him no longer. She got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed that child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So she actually doesn't break the law, She puts him in the Nile like she's supposed to, but she devises this plan that beats the system. And then she has the sister of the boy stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And as you you hear this story, it's not that that she puts him in the Nile. I think she strategically places this baby boy into the Nile. And it tells us that Pharaoh's daughter, this most powerful king of this empire, his daughter's bathing in this area of the Nile. And she sees this little basket, floating around the river, probably hears the baby, has her, her servant go out, f- swim out, get the baby, realizes this is a Hebrew boy that they've put into the Nile. And she decides, I want this baby. So the sister shows up and says, oh, yeah, interesting. Um, well, I, I know a nurse that can, like, nurse this baby. And Pharaoh's daughter goes, okay, that would be great. So the sister says, let me go get her. And it ends up being the boy's mom Pharaoh's daughter says, this is great. You can nurse this baby. I'll even pay you to do this. And who is this baby boy? Moses, right? And so this, this story that Moses' mom is just genius how she does this. Her, her, her in, she, she, she figures out this plan not only to save her baby boy, but now she's getting paid to raise the baby boy, And the baby boy is going to be growing up in the most powerful household in the world. This is genius by Jochebed. And what we find is that this story, this baby boy, becomes the the person who God uses to get his people out of slavery. Jochebed's plan, her, her genius behind doing this, Overlooked, underappreciated. The story of this mom. Another pivotal moment in the biblical story takes place in First Samuel. And this is after the story of Ruth, which is a, a fascinating story in her own right. But there's a, a woman named Hannah in First Samuel. She can't have a baby. She's barren, and she's praying. And it says that she prays fervently, just, just urging God to allow her to have a child. And as the story goes, like she's at the temple and she's praying, she finally decides, if I do have a child, um, I'm going to dedicate this child to the Lord. Take the Nazarite vow and just dedicate the child to the Lord. Ends up having this baby. And uh, in 1 Samuel, it it tells the story that she does dedicate the child to the Lord. This child becomes one of the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament. His name is Samuel. And if you know this story of Samuel when he's a boy... No one has heard from God in years. The high priest, the, all the religious leaders, Eli, no one has heard from God for years. And this young boy all of a sudden hears the voice of God. And you have to think that his mom was such a prayer warrior who urgently, fervently prays to God. That has to, like, that, that Samuel is in tune to the voice of God has to be because of the prayers of his mother before he was born. And as she dedicates him to the temple, it says that she, she prays fervently for God. And now her son is able to hear from the Lord when no one else can. And this is a child who uh, ends up calling David to be king. He, he becomes uh, an incredible story, figure in this story. Hannah praying for him overlooked, underappreciated. When this impossible situation she experiences is this miracle of, of new birth and, and sees what happens, not only that she wasn't expecting to actually have a child, decide, she ends up having a child. This child becomes this incredibly important figure in this story. She writes a song, a hymn, a prayer of how God takes impossible situations and creates something new. And she says these words, and just listen to how powerful these words are coming from Hannah, this, this mom. She says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our Lord, our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth he humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ashes. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the faithful servants but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. These are powerful words coming from this mom. She prays God hears her, gives birth to Samuel. Pivotal moment in this story. And what's interesting is not only is the boy's voice attentive to the voice of God, that, that skill has to be attributed to her Her praying over a period of time. But then she writes this prayer, and God ordains it, and it becomes part of scripture. Like what we're reading is is her words in response to what God has done in her life. And now this is part of this divinely inspired scripture. Powerful moment. Then we can hop over to the New Testament, and we find like in the story of Jesus, he interacts with a lot of different women, a couple different of different uh, of mothers. One of them, I, I think the, a great story takes place in Mark chapter 7, where he runs into this Syrophoenician woman, and Jesus is traveling. He goes up to this place called Tyre up by Sidon, a total pagan town. Um, he's up there. He's kind of laying low, and all of a sudden, this, this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, Um, realizes he's there, and she decides she has this daughter that's sick, and she has heard of Jesus, and she has heard that Jesus can heal those who are sick, and so she goes to meet with him, and you you could tell Jesus is like, I'm kind of on vacation right now. He's like, you know, like, and she's she's like, my daughter's sick, you have to see, and they they have this like banter back and forth, and it's interesting because you see some of Jesus's personality come out here, and like you, It's almost like as you're reading through the banter back and forth, you're thinking, like, is, is Jesus going to, like, help this woman? Is he going to heal her? And as they go back and forth, this woman will not stop. Like, she comes to him desperate, humbled at his feet, but there's this boldness to her request to Jesus. Like, her daughter's sick, and she wants the daughter to be healed. And as they go back and forth, like, Jesus uses this metaphor, and she, like, calls him on it. And his response is, like, He's blown away by her faith and boldness. So he responds to her request, and he heals her daughter. Like I've heard this, like this woman is called like the mama bear of the the New Testament. Like she'll do anything, her persistence to heal her daughter. She comes to the presence of Jesus. There's this humbleness where she's desperate, she falls at his feet. And yet there's this boldness where she's asking God to be who God is, to bring healing like you hear these stories of these women this this plan of god bringing salvation and life and healing often overlooked and underappreciated there's this genius to them there's this boldness there's this humility of their posture of approaching god allowing god to to use them to be that his kingdom would come through them you see this again and again there was an article that was written, Christianity Today, by a professor at Wheaton. It talks about these women and, and the story of, of how God's plan comes, comes through them. She says, Mothers, they give of their bodies, their energy, their time, and their love so that new humans can live and flourish. And the same is true of eternal life. And then she says this in the article, Going back to Mary, who's present in Acts chapter 1. God could have chosen to redeem the world in any way aligned with his divine character, but God chose incarnation. Jesus came to earth, and he comes comes to earth as a baby. He comes through this mother. He chose to invite Mary, a poor young Jewish woman, to participate in that process. The triune God of heaven chose Mary of Nazareth to be the mother of Jesus, the eternal and only begotten Son, From her body, God took on flesh. From her milk, God received sustenance. Under her instruction, God the Son grew in wisdom and favor with his father and fellow man, as Luke 2, 52 reminds us. Overlooked and underappreciated, this mom. She goes on to say this multifaceted uh, stories of mothers throughout Scripture are tethered to this center. As Jehokabed protected her son... From the threat of death, so did Mary. As Hannah sang God's praise, so did Mary in the Magnificat, in Luke chapter 2. The body and soul investment of her motherhood was indispensable in the divine redemption plan realized in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Son of Mary. Motherhood is not just this holiday we celebrate because of Hallmark, which we do, but there's something sacred about this, this role of God's plan that comes through mothers it's overlooked, it's underappreciated. We all play a role in the plan. God has empowered all of us with different gifts and different abilities. But on today, we're reminded of this important role. And on today, we honor that and we celebrate that, how we come into a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't come in and override our will and force us all to follow him. This plan, he comes as an infant through this young mom who sacrifices everything, her reputation, her body, to allow God's plan to come through her. Today on Mother's Day, we celebrate that. We honor that. We also are inspired by it. God is at work in this world in so many different ways. We're going to close today with a song and just reflect on these words. Mother's Day is a day that is a day of celebration. It's a day that's also uh, can be painful for a lot of people. We've gone through a crazy couple of years, but we're reminded of God's goodness. That he's the giver of life. And today, as we close with this song, let's rest in His presence of God in his love and his peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for your word. Lord, for these little details where we're reminded even of the story of Mary, who's present throughout the Gospels, who's present here in Acts 1 with the early church, often overlooked, underappreciated. Lord, there's so many unsung heroes throughout Scripture, so many stories that remind us that you use our ordinary lives being faithful in small things. Lord, you call us to faithfulness, to be available to you. Lord, as we hear these stories, also remind us of just the great sacrifices moms make, that we'd have this deep appreciation for that today. But we're so grateful for your body that is made up of all sorts of different parts. hands, feet. Lord, we ask that you would empower your church today with your presence. It's in your name we pray.